0: Well, good morning, good to see you, all of you. We want to continue uh, with Finding Perfect Peace, part two. We started this last week, and we're in Ephesians two eleven through 22. And last week we took the trip. I didn't bring my suitcase with me today, so I left all that at home. But uh, last week we took a trip and looked at the hindrances to obtaining peace in our lives, the peace that God gives, the peace that God calls us to, and the peace that God sends us out with. Matt's coming up. Did I hit it? I must have hit the button. Sorry. So, last week when we looked at uh, the hindrances to obtaining peace, It's a peace that uh, achieves reconciliation, forgiveness, and support. And so this week we want to consider the power of that peace, of God's peace. Too many times, too many times, God's people choose fighting instead of reconciliation and thereby forfeit the power of God's peace. That happens too often. As a light set on a hill. I went uh, on the web and found Tom, Tom is has served as a church consultant, and he's a founder of Church Answers, And it's off his website, churchanswers.com. And these are a few instances where God's people chose to fight rather than reconcile. He has 25. I'm not going to give all 25. But I just picked out some arbitrarily. There was an argument in the church over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. These are actual cases. He did a Twitter survey. That's where these came from. And, uh, and it just blew up when he, when he did the survey. People responded with some of these instances. Another one, a church dispute of whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women's restroom. The church argued about that. The church argument and vote to decide if a clock... In the worship center should be removed. That actually happened. A 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase. Black or brown, two, three, or four drawer. A dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. Worship leaders had a tough time, Ben. (laughs) A business meeting arguments about whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took two business meetings to resolve that issue. Arguments over what type of green beans the church should serve. I I didn't get that. that. That's some detail there. Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. That caused a problem. But in the other church, they just simply moved to a stronger brand, and members left that church. This one... I don't know, if, uh, how many of you ever heard of Beth Moore? Anybody heard of Beth Moore? Okay. So <clears throat> here's a church, and, and I guess in the survey and in the Twitter, she, she confessed, you know, she was the person. A church member, she was the church member, was chastised because she brought vanilla syrup to the coffee server. You know why? It looked too much like Liquor. Some church members left the church, another church, because one of its members hid the vacuum cleaner from the rest of the members. (laughs) It ended in a major fight and a split. Those are a few. Those are a few that he got response to. Silly, right? I mean, we hear those and we go, what in the world? And yet, are we that far off? How do people get that far off track and off mission? Are we illogical? Are we just mentally ill? Or just extremely self-absorbed? A lot of you shaking your head, yeah. Yeah. The examples were not issues that should have reached the level of hostility and end in division. When we see peace from God's perspective, it's a peace that works through, works in the midst of hostility or disagreement for the purpose of reconciliation. Biblical peace brings reconciliation that creates a new singular purpose out of two opposing people, people who disagree. Or groups or institution It's done through the cross and only through the cross. Now, we can be cynical about that and say, hey, I, can, I don't have to be a Christian and I can reconcile. Not with the same purpose. With the same purpose and in the midst of hostility to persevere to the end, as the Bible says, only and for eternal purposes only can be found in the cross and resurrection of Christ. So it's imperative to our churches, communities, our nation, our world that followers of Christ understand their unique and significant mission as ambassadors of reconciliation. Jesus calls us peacemakers, right? In the Sermon on the Mount. Paul was writing to churches through this letter as a converted Jew. He was a Jew and he persecuted Christians. So he came out of a Jewish background and now he's an apostle to the Gentiles. Can you imagine the transformation he had to go through dealing with the prejudice and the thoughts that he had as a Jew toward a Gentile? Can you imagine? He and Peter also? So let's read Ephesians two eleven through twenty two. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised. Jews were using a um, an insult. To the Gentile, and the Gentile uh, was opposed to the Jew, which is done in the flesh by human hands, the circumcision. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and express and regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in what? Peace. Peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. And let me just put in a parenthesis here. What is the church? One of the metaphors of the church in Scripture is what? We are the body of Christ. So in Christ's body, Paul says, he did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body, through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. Now, I'm not saying the church is the Savior. I'm saying we are his body here. And we carry on his mission. Right? He came and proclaimed the good news of peace. Talking about Jesus. To you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access to one Spirit, to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the cornerstone. In Him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him... You are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. That's who we are. God offers peace to the world through ambassadors of reconciliation known as his church. I'm not talking about the institution. I'm not talking about brick and mortar. I'm talking about the people who are followers of Christ. So some of you are holding your breath. Oh no. Oh no. Not another sermon about just getting along. What about truth? You can breathe now. Peace does not get rid of truth. It's not an either or, it's a both and. In the peace that Christ offers, there is truth and reconciliation. It's not just judgment. And it's just not and it's just not whatever you want to do. but he came and he preached a gospel of peace. and in preaching the gospel of peace, you can only be honest with people, right? Sometimes that involves that honesty involves confession. sometimes that honesty involves deference, in other words, You consider someone else before your own. Paul wrote that in another place in Scripture. Consider someone's interest above your own. So, as we look at the power of this peace that's available, first we see that this was God's intent all along. This wasn't an afterthought. God understood that where there would be hostility in the garden. It talks about that, the enmity at at the fall. The hostility that would be there. But God announced his plan for peace. It's not a surprise. It's not an afterthought. In Isaiah 9.6, it says this, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and what? Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 53.5, and I want to say appreciate Matt, man. He gets all these scriptures up there, and these guys that work back there, I appreciate them. But Isaiah 53.5. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. Crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our what? Peace was on him. The punishment was that we get the peace. (laughs) He didn't do anything. And we are healed by his wound. Zechariah nine nine through ten rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion, daughter Zion shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem look. Your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. Those were symbols of power and war. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The bow of war will be removed and he will reclaim what? Peace. To whom? To the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea, from Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. And then in our passage today, we read in verse 20, Ephesians 2.20, it says this, uh, that this piece is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. It was, it was revealed in him when he came. It was spoken beforehand. He came, he fulfilled the prophecy, and now built upon the prophets with Jesus Christ we know is the one and from now on, it's built on that. We know exactly who it is. So, it's been announced and it was planned. And it's, he, he made it available. So let's look at the application of the peace plan. Receiving the peace plan. Allowing him to bring that in and through our lives. This gets back to what I started with. This is where some of the breakdown is. Why we have those silly fights that the world looks at and says, I don't want to be a part of that. I can get that out here. As we apply the plan of peace that God has given us in Christ, we find, and I'm going to share one necessity, in four areas of impact. What's the necessity? The necessity is for discernment. The necessity to understand the majors and the minors. We must allow God's Spirit, including the truth of Scripture, to illuminate our hearts about issues and when I have an issue, the seriousness of that issue. We must not take it upon ourselves, but we must. Before we go out and stir something up, we need to put it under the searchlight of God's Spirit. Has my, let me ask this question, has my personal preference or pride been hurt, or has the person decided that they want no part of reconciliation? is it become not not a matter of the gospel but it's just my personal preference i don't like that i don't like a worship leader who doesn't wear his shoes i don't like it that that church member hid the vacuum cleaner don't make your personal preference the point of contention Put it under the searchlight of God's Spirit and God's truth. And tell me when you understand, and I understand the cross, and I've been guilty of this, that in that searchlight I say, man, I'm making a way too big a deal of that. So we let God's Spirit and His Word to illuminate our heart and help us to understand what what we're doing in this mission and how to achieve it. What's the reason for our hostility? What's the reason for these type of things to creep up and little things become big things? Well, I went to the great American theologian, Mark Twain. And Twain said this, Temper is what gets most of us into trouble. Pride is what keeps us there. Not bad for an American theologian. Let me say it again. Temper is what gets most of us into trouble. I've been there, have you? I just, I'm mad. And then when you fly off, it's like... I can't back up. It's too humiliating. I don't like that person anyway. And i got to tell them I was wrong. Being a peacemaker, following Christ is hard work. It's hard work. Let's not be, uh, you know, deceitful about this. Let's not try to sugarcoat things. It's hard work. We are ambassadors of peace, and thereby we become vulnerable. That's what happened when Jesus went to the cross. It's risky. We may go, we may try to reconcile, and someone says, I'll never talk to you again. It's risky. but we need to quit using terms like us and them and use the word we. We find a way to talk about us, not you and me. When we grow through the voluntary submission to God's spirit and discerning power, we frequently see that our disagreement has nothing to do with the glory of Christ but all to do with anger, pride, and preference. So what are the four areas? That's, that's an area of necessity, the necessity to discern, to put before God and understand, my issue is it really that big in light of what cr- the cross means and in light of what Christ did. Now, there's four areas of impact when we allow the Spirit to check us, and one is in our worship. In Matthew 5:23 through 24 it says this: So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, now bringing your gift to the offering was what? An act of worship. But if you remember that, so if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave what? Your gift there. Didn't say, go ahead, go ahead. You know, we'll deal with this sometime later. Just worship. I love the worship. But he says, first go and be what? Reconcile with your brother or sister and then then come and offer your gift. It's hard work. It's risky. But as we do it, our worship is powerful, alive, personal, and transformational. And to avoid that, and try to worship when you know you got something you got to reconcile is not fooling God in the least. Second area of impact is our fellowship. You say, I love God, but I, you know, I just got issues with this person or that person or the preacher or the deacon or the song leader, praise leader. <laughs> Love God, and it says in 1 John 4.20, if anyone says I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a what? He is a what? Liar. liar. That's not me, right? <laughs> He's a liar. He doesn't speak the truth. Sometimes our way out is to say, well, I don't even think that person's saved, so I don't even think they're my brother and sister. So it's our way out. Like, we don't have to love him. It's our love of God that caused us to feel that way. No. I don't hate, I just disagree or don't like. But I don't hate them. That's not the point of the passage. To determine your level of hatred or dislike It's that you can't say, because it goes on to say, for the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot what? Love God whom he has not seen. There's going to be, listen, if you haven't already, there's going to be things about God you don't like that you struggle with. You understand what I'm saying? There's going to be things that happen, and you're going to, I don't understand. Or there's things in the Bible you're going to read, and you go, I don't understand that, God. So so John is saying, how in the world can you say you love God who you have not seen, and you can't even love the one you have seen? Sometimes we have an out to say, "Well, Jesus did say, you know, I didn't bring, I didn't come to bring peace. I brought, but division." And our pastor referred to this uh, a couple weeks ago, I think. Unless a person hates his father, mother, or when you know um, sons will give up their father and 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 daughters, and and the division that's there. Jesus was talking about I didn't. So then we go and say, well, see, Jesus didn't say it to indicate that we can justify our stubborn insistence on division or look for a fight. It doesn't mean that we can always say, I'm right and you're wrong. And until you change, until you change, I'm done. Jesus said it's going to be hard it's tough it won't always go your way my way but Jesus says follow me it's the peace that gets in the middle of hostility and breaks the barriers down It's not the peace that says to someone, you need to be like me. It's the peace to say that we all need to be like him. Peter asked Jesus, how many times am I obligated to forgive? And Peter said, what? He, said, he put on there in his question, he said, Seven? And, and and so I know a lot of commentators and, and, and students of scripture would say seven is complete right seven is a number for completeness so Peter uses this thing to say hey you know this is seven times enough it's pretty complete and Jesus said what not enough Peter said, what? 70 times 7. So we can do the math. And we can say, well, 490 times. So 491, I don't have to. Or we can look at it as exponential. 7 to the 70th power. But the point is, forgiveness is always available. The other area of impact is for maturity. It's a piece in Philippians 4, 7. It's a piece... And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a peace that passes understanding. It's it's a peace that draws us beyond areas that we even thought we could go. It's beyond what we understand sometimes. It's like, I don't make any sense to me to do that. But it's a peace that breaks a barrier down beyond even what we thought. And we didn't even know how it would happen. And in that passage where that's quoted, in that context, Paul is encouraging two women to come together in the midst of conflict to reconcile. And he said, how you come together is to agree in the Lord. (laughs) Not your way, not your way. But... You follow Jesus to the point of peace. And then for a witness, Ephesians 3, 6 through 10. God put his, if I can say it this way, God put all his eggs in one basket. And that's his people. When Christ came, he said, I'm going to send you out. You're going to be ambassadors of peace you're going to be a light on a hill. You're going to be a place the world can look at and say, how do they get along? They're from two different worlds. They're from two different socioeconomic uh, worlds. They're, they're two different cultures. How do they do that? And it's that light that God wants to shine in and through our lives as his church. It's in us, his body, who are connected to the head that we give hope to a world. Not through our church fights, but through our grace, forgiveness, love for truth, and fellowship and worship. There's nowhere like it in the world. Jesus says, I want you to be that light. There was a church, the First Baptist Church of Ellisville, and they uh, went through a church split. 800 member church split. In half, one was an old uh, the one four hundred stayed were old and and, and and like me and and they and they had faded carpet and but they had their building they had their their, their location where they had meaningful experiences the other church the people who left left and started another church and including ministries that included sports ministry, and they started a Christian school, and they split. And they were that way for 23 years. They were split. That, that church that left went five miles down the road. After 23 years, there was a pastor that came into to the old church, to the original church, and got to know some of the people from the other the, the church that split off. West County Community Church was that church. First So, And he got to know. He sent his kids to the Christian school, and, and the people that he pastored said, don't you know who owns that school? Why are you sending your kids there? And he found in his experience of sending his kids there, he got to meet some of the board members and good folks. And out of that experience, there came a reconciliation. This doesn't happen. This this I this is the first place I've ever heard of it, but in the in the associational missionary there in St. Louis said he'd never seen in ministry before. Where the churches came back, they got together and merged back. The people who were at the original church, First Baptist Ellisville, they sold their building and sold all those things that meant a lot. And they went to this new facility and they got a senior adult ministry going, they got a, 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 a preschool ministry going. There are about 550 people now. It can happen. God, Jesus is very serious about the peace. He gave his life that we could have it. And we are his people taking that message, living that message, giving the world hope that we don't have to fight that in Christ we can come together with all our faults, with all our issues, love one another and honor Christ. We're going to play a song. It's by Sela, uh, it's a group called Sela, and uh, it was written by Todd Smith, Jenny Lee Riddle, and uh, Charity Gale. And it's from their album, Firm Foundation, and the title of it is Benediction As We Go. Do we have that, Matt? So we're just going to, now, those who don't like this can music, just don't fight about it, don't divide over this. Just just give me some slack. And and it's going to have the lyrics. If you want to keep your eyes open, you may want to close your eyes. Just listen to the lyrics in the song. We're going to play that, and then we'll conclude after that. So, um, Matt, go ahead.